Now all the tax collectors and all the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and they were saying, This fellow here, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus told them a story. There was a man who had two sons. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. There was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. And this man had a great family business. It was a grocery store that had been passed down generation after generation. And he loved what he got to do, and he loved his sons. One day, the father was sitting in his office in the back room at the grocery store, and he heard a knock at the door, and his younger son walked in. He said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance right now. I don't have time to wait around for you to die. I want my half right now. The father said, okay. So he split his inheritance among his two sons. To the elder son, he gave them the family business. To the younger son, he cashed in some of his investments and got it in money, and he gave it to his younger son. The younger son skipped town, and he went down to Atlantic City. Amen, baby, you know? Having a good time, Atlantic City. He got all this money. He wants to gamble it. He wants to put it on the line. For the first couple of days, he could do no wrong. Bet on red. It's coming home. Double. Droop. I mean, he was just rolling in the dough. And then he started to lose. And when I mean he lose, he started to really lose everything. So he started drinking to make himself feel better about the losing. But when that didn't help, he started sleeping with prostitutes to make him feel better about the drinking, to make him feel better about the gambling. And pretty soon he had nothing left. Zero. Gone. He's so distraught, he realizes he has nothing. He has not even been gone long enough to really lose everything, so he goes to the casino owner. He says, I've got nothing. Could you please give me a job? Casino owner says, oh, of course. We have a new opening in custodial services. We'd be happy to employ you right away. He gives him a uniform and puts him to work. With every passing day, this kid has to take care of the wealthy people in the casino of whom he used to be one. But he's not making enough money because he's so in debt that everything he makes is going off to pay off his debts. He's not even earning enough to provide for his own housing. So he starts sleeping in a stall in one of the casino bathrooms. He can't even afford to wash his uniform. So every morning he wakes up, he takes his uniform off, and he washes it in the sink of the casino, and then puts it back on to start picking up garbage. He's so poor, he's so in debt, he can't even afford food anymore. So he's looking at the bottom of the trash bags that he's emptying, and he's taking the scraps of food that people are leaving, and he's eating it. This goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and inexplicably, one morning, sitting in his stall, he comes to himself. He realizes the condition of his condition, and he thinks, even back home, at my father's grocery store, his employees have food. His employees can afford to live somewhere. Maybe it would be better for me to go home and go back to my father. So now he starts to rationalize this. He makes that plan in his head. He said, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Please, let me be one of your employees so that at least I have a place to live and food to eat. He 
thinks this is such a good idea that he leaves town, he leaves the casino without ever looking back, and he goes back to his father's grocery store. The father, meanwhile, he's sitting in the grocery store, he's looking out that front window, and he looks out and he sees this prodigal son of his coming home. He sees him walking up the road, he is dirty, his hair is matted, and what does the father do? What would you do? The father runs out the front doors of the grocery store. He tackles his son into the ground and starts kissing him all over his gross, dirty body. The son is suffocating under the weight of his father, and he says, Dad, Dad, I really messed up. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. And the father says, Shut up! You were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, but now you were found. We are having a party! We are having a party. He grabs his probable son by the collar, picks him up off the ground, throws him in the grocery store, and he says, Hey, Charlie, go crack open the beer. Go get, hey, Pearl, can you lock up the store? Can you lock, hey, Pam, go get that leg of lamb we've been saving. Put it on the grill out back. We're having a party. We're having a party. Andrew, turn the radio up. They lock the doors, they bust out the beer, they turn the music up, the lamb starts roasting, and they have a party in the middle of the afternoon. Dancing, getting drunk, having a good old time. But where's the older brother? Do you remember at the beginning of this story? The younger son says, Hey, I want my inheritance. And the father says, Sure, I'll give it to you. The other half, I give to my elder son this whole business. I give him the grocery store. So where's the older son? He's in the office. He's going over the ledger, he's checking inventory. And all of a sudden, he hears this frivolity. He hears the music. He hears the beers cracking open. And he thinks, what in the world is going on? And so he stands up, and he sees, he sees Pam walking down. He says, Pam, what are you doing? She's got beer foam all over her mouth. She says, oh, we're having a party. You haven't heard yet? It's your brother. He was dead. But now he's alive. Your dad told us it's time to party. We're getting drunk. I'm putting lamb on the grill. What do you? Come on, let's have fun. The older brother takes his ledger book and he's so angry he throws it across the office and he puts a hole in his wall. And that's when he hears the knock. In walks his father. In the beginning stages of inebriation. What are you doing back here, son of mine? Haven't you heard your brother's home? He was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. What are you doing back here? And the son says, what am I doing back here? What the hell are you doing out there? What are you? This son of yours wasted everything of yours on gambling and on drinking and on prostitutes. I've been a slave for you ever since he left. You've never told me I could go home early. You've never thrown a party for me. And you're giving this kid the leg of lamb. <clears throat> what kind of father are you? The father sobers up for a second. And he looks at his son. He says, none of that matters. None of that matters. Your brother was dead, but he was alive. Your brother was lost, but he was found. You know he said, don't butt me, Dad. Listen to me. I've done everything right. I followed every rule, and you have done nothing for me. Nothing for you, the father says. Nothing for you? Who do you think owns this whole grocery store? You do. 
This isn't mine. You say, you've worked for me. You've been a slave for me. You haven't been a slave for me. You've been a slave for yourself. Remember when your brother asked for his inheritance? I gave you all of this. You haven't been working for me. You've been working for you. Your brother was dead and he's alive. What kind of life do you have? You look like you're alive, but you're not living at all. You sit in that office all day, looking at the dollars and pennies and nickels and dimes. Your brother, yeah, sure, he, he wasted it all, but at least he lived. Lived and then died. You have nothing to show for your love, your life. You know what you should do, son of mine? Why don't you go ahead and drop dead? Drop dead, because then at least you can come alive again and be better than this. Drop dead. And then when you come alive, you can come have a beer with me and your brother. Because the only thing that matters is that he was dead and now he's alive. The only thing that matters is that he was lost and now he's found. It's a pretty good story, right? It's not mine, by the way. It's Jesus's. He stole it, reappropriated it a little bit. It's probably the most well-known story that Jesus ever tells. The story of the prodigal son. And strangely enough, the whole thing is about death. The whole thing is about death. The first death occurs right in the beginning when the younger son walks in. And he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. He effectively drops dead. He commits vocational suicide right then and there. He turns it all in to give it to his kids. Whatever he thought he was going to do for the rest of his life, that nice retirement account, nope. Business goes to my elder son. The money goes to my younger son. He's dead. The second death occurs with the prodigal. He's sitting in that stall in my version of the story, and he realizes that whatever life he thought he had is gone forever. He is dead. That's gone. He's never going to get it back. He realizes that he's lost it all. So then he has to work up the courage to go home to his father. He starts to rationalize. He wants to confess to his dad. You know, the way that we think about confession, in order to receive forgiveness, we have to confess ahead of time. But that's not what happens in the story. The son wants to confess, but before he even gets a chance to confess, his father tackles him in the road. Forgiveness precedes confession. You know, it's only while his father is laying those kisses on his head that he says, Dad, Dad, I'm unworthy to be called your son. Notice, he doesn't even ask for a job anymore. He's not even thinking about a new life. All he knows is that he's dead and he's lost it all. The father says, you fool. I don't care about any of that. You were dead, but you were alive. You were lost, but now you're found. You know, in the church, we talk about forgiveness all the time. And we do so without recognizing the true weight of forgiveness. We say things like, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And it's true. But we forget that we're not only forgiven for the sins we've committed already, we are forgiven for every sin in our lives yet to come. That's a big difference. We only confess after we know that we're forgiven. And it's only possible to have this kind of forgiveness because of Jesus Christ and his cross. Which leads us to the third death in the story. The fatted calf in Jesus' version, in my version, it's a leg of lamb. That is Jesus Christ himself in his own story. I mean, what is the purpose of a fatted calf's life or a lamb's life but to sit around waiting to drop dead at a moment's notice so somebody can have a party? Now, I know that sounds crass. I know that's kind of tough, but remember, this isn't my story. This is Jesus' story. Okay. This whole thing 
This beloved tale of the prodigal son, it's not about religious observances. It's not about spiritual proclivities. It's not even about our bumbling moralities. It's about God having a good time and just dying, literally, to share that good time with us. But lest we forget the older brother. Anybody here got a little bit of that older brother in you? Feel like you've done everything right? You're mad that somebody got something that you didn't deserve? He shows up in the story to show the father how foolish he is, when in fact he's the greatest fool of all, the one who stayed home. He's the fool because he refuses to die. Not literally, but he refuses to die to his crazy sensibilities about the world <coughs> and about his work. <coughs> he's so convinced. He's too convinced. <coughs> That doing all the right things will be enough. Pardon me. <coughs> that it will be enough to save him. And it's not. <coughs> so famous. I did everything I was supposed to do. I stayed home. I took care of everything. I planned accordingly. I've been perfect. And yet his life is anything but perfect. He cannot stand the idea that his father is going to throw a party for the son that deserves nothing. But we all deserve nothing. All of us. Grace is a crazy thing. Jesus tells the story, and whenever we hear it, we're quick to read ourselves into the story. We can think of times where we've been the prodigal, times where we've made bad choices. <clears throat> we can think of times where we've been the father, where we're waiting to forgive someone who wronged us. We can even think of times where we've been the older son. We're just so angry that someone gets something for nothing. But this story... It's not about those people. It's not about the father. It's not about the son or the son. The story is about the party. It's about the craziness of grace. The party is already happening. It's not something we have to wait for. It's happening. Jesus has already marched to the top of Calvary. He's already mounted the hardwood of the cross. We were dead. And now we're alive. We were lost. But now we're found. The best part of all is that none of us deserve it. I offer this to you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Gosh, sorry about losing my voice. <clears throat> I'll just let you all think I was getting really emotional at the end of the sermon. Okay. <clears throat>